seek appraisal of ourselves and of others. They cloud our perception and very often lead to bad decisions, very bad decisions. Arrogance creates blind spots in the soul. Just like many automobiles, I have an automobile that's fairly new to me, and there's a new blind spot. With my old automobile, I knew the blind spot there. I was always very careful, especially when I was looking back and to my right. I had to make, I had to make sure I looked twice, looked in the rearview mirror, and then and actually turned my head and looked, because there's a blind spot. And if somebody happened to be in that blind spot, and I didn't take particular care to take a look at it, then that could be destructive for me or for someone else. Pride created a huge blind spot that led to the first rebellion against God. Satan was full of pride. He thought that he could be like the most high God. Adam and Eve thought that they could be like God, knowing good and evil. And they jumped at the opportunity to eat the forbidden fruit. Satan jumped at the opportunity, it's beyond us as to why, to rebel against God. Adam and Eve jumped at the opportunity to rebel against God. The first sins, both angelic and human, were wrapped in arrogance. Pride renders the individual unteachable. And unteachable people are ripe for authority. Our culture has been bombarded with the idea that arrogance is a sign of strength and humility is a sign of weakness. We see it in the movies, we see it on television, we see it in books, we see it on the stage. B-list actresses drive up, steal jewelry, and thumb their noses at any kind of legitimate civil authority. And rather than being shunned by our culture, because of their arrogance, they become more famous. Something's wrong with our culture. We don't value humility. We don't value people who actually obey the rules. At least not as a culture. You do, I know. But not as a culture. As a culture, pride, arrogance seems to be the best. But we all have arrogance in our own lives that are pride. And we need to be constantly on the work to deal with it when it surfaces. All of us are born in this world. I should mention here that there's a difference between pride and confidence. A big difference. One can be confident and at the same time humble. True confidence takes into account things as they really are. So you can be confident of success in a particular endeavor without being prideful. So let's not confuse confidence and pride. Two different things. David is confident tonight as he goes out to fight Goliath. He is not prideful as he goes out to fight Goliath. As chapter 17 concludes, the first thing, we will watch a man who was full of pride suffer what was perhaps the most embarrassing and shocking defeat of all time. If there had been bookies present at the Valley of Elah that day, Goliath would have gone off as a thousand-to-one favorite to defeat David. No way could he lose. If there were commentators in a booth overlooking the battlefield that day, they would have been complaining that this was such a mismatch that people should have not paid money to watch it. We should get our money back with this because Goliath is just going to destroy this kid David. Couldn't we come up with a better fight than this? A thousand-to-one might be generous. This man goes down hard in an extremely embarrassing defeat. 
Open your Bibles, if you will, to 1 Samuel chapter 17, and tonight we begin in verse 38 to review just a little bit to pick back up where we were last time and move into our passage tonight. In verse 38 of 1 Samuel 17, Then Saul clothed David with his garments and put a bronze helmet on his head, and he clothed him with armor. And David girded his sword over his armor and tried to walk, for he had not tested them. So David said to Saul, I cannot go with these, for I have not tested them. And David took them off. You can't fight your battle with somebody else's armor. We can't deal with our problems in life with someone else's faith. We have to develop our own. Now, that might not seem significant until you really start facing your own Goliath. And then you'll realize, no matter how close you are to your pastor or your associate pastor, no matter how many wonderful Christian friends you have that are praying for you, at the end of the day, you're the one that's going to have to fight that Goliath with your faith, not with your friend's faith, not with your pastor's faith, not with your parents' faith, or with your kids' faith. You have to prepare yourself to fight those battles on your own with God on your side. Then in verse 40, And he took his stick in his hand and chose for himself five smooth stones from the brook and put them in the shepherd's bag which he had, even in his pack, and his sling was on his hand as he, and he approached the Philistine. David's not going to go into battle unarmed. He takes weapons with him that he's familiar with. But he must know in his soul that by himself it is next to impossible to defeat this heavily armed, mature, experienced giant of a man just with his slingshot and with his staff called his stick in his hand. It's impossible. That is, unless God is on your side. And if God is on your side, it's going to be impossible for him to win. It's impossible for him to win if he goes out by himself, but if God's on his side, he knows it's impossible for him to lose. David had a realistic view of himself. He had a realistic view of Goliath, but most importantly, he had a realistic view of the God who went with him. David surmised that if the living God, keyword, the living God was on his side, it didn't really matter who came out against him. Whether it was Goliath or Goliath plus his brothers or the whole doggone Philistine army, if God's on his side, that's all that counts. David would have gone out there without God, with just his sword, because he'd done a lot of training, and he had really buffed up, then that would have been arrogant. Well, he could have been, but that would have been arrogant. But David is, David is not arrogant. He's confident. He is confident because he knows who's going with him. Speaking of arrogance, look at verse 41. Then the Philistine came on and approached David with his shield bearer in front of him. When the Philistine looked and saw David, he disdained him, for he was but a youth and ruddy with a handsome figure. The Hebrew term bazaar is the term that the New American Standard translates disdained him. It, it does mean to disdain someone, but it also can mean he held him in contempt. He despised him. He was in a sense incredulous that he was even out there on the battlefield with this unworthy opponent. That is all that is wrapped up in this word Bazaar, but the New American Standard translates disdain. He disdained him, for he was but a youth and ruddy with a handsome appearance. This pretty boy, red-headed teenager, is going to fight me? That's insulting to Goliath's face. Goliath is full of arrogance. But he also, on another level, on another level, is full of stupidity. 
What did Goliath is doing? Becoming arrogant and pride as he approaches this young man? is really not very smart, even from a human perspective. And some of you know what I'm talking about. Because if you ever see a little guy not backing down from a bigger guy in an altercation, unless the little guy's really, really an easy one, then I would put my money on the little guy. A lot of us have seen that happen. There's probably a good reason why the little guy kept back. Even from a human perspective, beware of little guys that don't back down against big guys. They generally know something. In verse 43, the trash talking really begins. And the Philistines said to David, Am I a dog that you come to me with sticks? And the Philistine cursed David by his God. This is one of the, the verses in this narrative that probably is not given enough time. We usually pass over this one a bit. But this is a very important verse. First of all, the trash talk. Arrogant people talk trash. You see it all over the place. You certainly see it in athletics, and it just nauseates me the way some people talk so much trash about their athletics. I, okay, I saw that you made the tackle. I also know that you're being paid like a million dollars a game to make that tackle. You've only made one this game, so that's a million dollars per tackle. Now go back to the huddle. I don't need some of these silly dances every time somebody makes a tackle. That's trash talking, and it's arrogant. And most people like me are getting a little bit tired of it. But we see trash talking in a lot of different things. In politics and in other places, there's so much trash talking because there's so much arrogance. And so we see that, am I a dog? That word dog is used of the canine, but it was also a word used of a male prostitute who came at that time. So he's really knocking this kid, whichever way he came, whether it's referring to a canine or someone who's less than moral. The sticks that he mentions here, my dog that you come to me with sticks. The sticks mentioned back in verse 40. Remember this. David doesn't just come out with his slingshot blazing. He comes out with his stick. Hold that thought for a moment. We're going to come back to it in a minute. That actually will have more significance than what we might think. But the key phrase, perhaps the key phrase, at least in our closing portion tonight, is this last one. And the Philistine cursed David by his God. David's going to fight the Philistines in the empowerment of the living God. But the Philistine curses David, or this could also be understood as, invokes the name of his God. Not just that he curses David by virtue of his God, but he invokes the name of his God as he's going out to meet David. So David's coming out under the power of the living God. Goliath is, is cursing David or invoking the name of his God. Now, in the Philistine pantheon, this God, Dagon, D-A-G-O-N, was their chief deity. Dagon was the god of fertility originally, and later ended up becoming the god of fishing, which makes a lot of sense, because that's how they got a lot of their food, was from fishing. So he is invoking, I would assume, the name Dagon, as David is going to invoke the name Yahweh in this fight. What it really amounts to is not how big Goliath is or how little David is, it's who's going with each one of them. And the one going with David is the living God. The ones going, and I put that in air quotes, the, the ones going with Goliath are inanimate gods with a little G. Something that's been carved out of the wood or something from mythology. Something that God has made, that's what they were worshipping. They worshipped the sun and the moon and the stars and the earth. And this God that they made up, Dagon, this God of fertility. Now watch, this is key to understanding what's happening with David and how we fight our own Goliath. 
David went with God. And when he went with God, he couldn't lose. Goliath went with Dagon, and if he's going to go up against the living God, he can't win. The battle's over before it starts, and Goliath doesn't even have a clue at this point. I think there might be a nanosecond where he gets a clue right at the end. I would have, if I was Goliath. If I'm Goliath coming out, and I've talked all kinds of times to all kinds of people, and I've even ridiculed this kid that's coming out against me when the battle starts, even after I told him I'm going to just beat the tar out of you, and David comes running at him, at least for a split second, I'm going to think, uh-oh, I wonder if this kid's got something more to him than meets the eye. At least I would have thought that. Now, whether or not Goliath had time or place or not. One thing that Goliath is doing, too, is he's focusing on that stick. Am I a dog that you come to me with sticks? He doesn't even pay attention that David's got a slingshot. And that's an interesting, at least from a human perspective, that's an interesting dynamic that's going on here with Goliath. Sun Tzu in the Art of War said, If the enemy is taking his ease, give him no rest. Attack him where he's unprepared. Appear where you're not expecting. In other words, deception is a key part to warfare. Deception is a key part to this individual hand-to-hand combat. Goliath focused on the wrong thing. Goliath watched. Goliath's arrogance has given him an extremely bad blind spot. And as a warrior, because David is small, Goliath is not on his A-game. He only sees the stick. He doesn't see the sling. And he is being deceived by this. Now, David doesn't win because of any of this per se. David wins because God is on his side. But I think God uses some of this as well. God is using Goliath's arrogance against him. And so all he focuses on um, is the stick. David is fighting for Yahweh and Israel. Goliath is fighting for himself, the Philistines, and the gods would exist. The verse 46, the Philistine also said to David, Come to me, and I will give your flesh to the birds of the sky and to the beasts of the field. I love that David answers in this way. And they've got to be close enough that they can hear each other without too much difficulty. They can see each other without too much difficulty. I would imagine by this time, David could see the whites of Goliath's eyes. Then David said to the Philistine, You come to me with a sword and spear and a javelin. In other words, you come to me with all the accoutrements of the earth. You're a big guy. Yeah, okay. You come to me with a sword, a spear, and a javelin, but I come to you in the name of the Lord of hosts, the God of the armies of Israel, whom you have called. This day the Lord, Yahweh, will deliver you up into my hands, and I will strike you down and remove your head from you. And I will give the dead bodies of the army of the Philistines this day to the birds of the sky and the wild beasts of the earth, that all the earth may know that there's a God in Israel. This tells almost everything you need to know about David. This is a very strong attestation of David's faith. Can you see why he's doing it? He's not doing it so he can become king of Israel. He's not doing it so his name can be on a marquee. He's not doing it so the women can sing their songs later. Saul has killed his thousands, and David has killed his ten thousands. He doesn't do it to become a celebrity. He does it so that all the earth may know that there's a God in Israel. That's why he risks his life. That's why he's living his life. Is that why you're living your life? Is that why I'm living mine? Is that why you do what you do, or that I do what I do? So that everyone may know 
that the God I serve is the true God, that I really do believe what, it, what I say that I believe, instead of just having some sort of philosophical idea. You see, as Christians, I do believe what it is I say I believe. I'm, I, I, there's plenty of other things all of us could be doing. You could be doing other things tonight. I could be doing other things, but the reason I'm here and the reason you're here is because we do believe that there is a God in heaven. We do believe that He had a Son that came to earth to pay the penalty for our sins, and that we can be rightly related to Him by grace through faith. We do believe that there will be a time when we'll have to be, we'll have to be held accountable for the choices that we make here on this earth. I do believe that God exists. This is not a game for me. And I know it's not a game for you either. It's no game. This is real. And it was no game for David. One of the key things that we need to take from 1 Samuel chapter 17 is that the same living God that went out with David to fight his Goliath is the God that you're either going to take along with you or leave behind when you fight your Goliath. Same God. Don't miss David's word there. That tells you everything you need to know. So that all the earth may know that there's a God. He viewed Yahweh as the commander of Israel's army. A view that Saul never fully embraced. This is one of the main differences between Saul and David. David's the Lord's anointed. David understood from his word. David saw God as the real deliverer of Israel. Saul never sees it that way. Goliath is going to invoke the name of Dagon. David is going to invoke the name of Yahweh. When we face our Goliath, the human tendency is to focus upon the size of the problem. Goliath's nine and a half feet tall. That's a big man. That's well over 300 pounds of muscle, of experienced warrior. If David would have been focusing upon Goliath, he would have conquered and never gone out there in the first place. That's not where his focus is. Too much of the time, our focus when these problems come, problems come up, at least initially, when they first come up, is the size of the problem. It's a highly malignant tumor against God's people. A national debt is massive, you hear the commentator on the radio say. A political opponent is well-funded. And then you may hear the, the boss say, the layoffs at work are expected to affect everyone. So sorry that your husband didn't make it here today. Yeah, that's one of these things that the masses go out to face. Sometimes people do pass away. Sometimes God does take our loved ones up to heaven to be with Him. They belong to Him. They have every right to be anytime they want. They're happier there than they were here. But sometimes we do worry about them. These are Goliaths. I would imagine almost everybody in here has heard at least one of those, if not something like it, at some point in your life. These are Goliaths. So when we face these Goliaths, are we going to focus on that? Are we going to focus upon the Lord who's going to get us through it? I'm not saying when we focus upon the Lord, the doctor's always going to come out and say, hey, the surgery went wrong. Or the cancer's been beaten. That's not necessarily the case. The Goliath could be that the doctor comes out and says, the patient's been saved. And now your world is shattered because someone that you love very much is not going to be with you, at least physically, here now. How are we going to handle that? And if we don't handle it with God, we're going to have to handle it some other way. We're going to have some, some, some psychological machinations with some drug, perhaps. 
happens when people panic and they run, they send a mass text. And the Israelite army chased the Philistines all the way back to Gath. The second the Israelites had passed. Gath is probably no further from the Valley of Elah than Bethlehem was from the Valley of Elah. It was probably, so we're probably talking maybe five, six miles is all. But they chase them all the way back, killing them as they go. The army of retreat is a very vulnerable army, and they chase them right up to the gates of the city of Gath. It's a massive, massive defeat for the Philistines. And then when the Israelites turn along with David and come back to the camp in the Valley of Elah, they plunder the camp because when you're in a very quick retreat like that, they didn't have time to take up their tents and get all their weapons and, and all those things. So the Israelites plundered the Philistines. Verse 54, Then David took the Philistines' head and brought it to Jerusalem, but he put his weapons in his tent. So he keeps, his, he keeps Goliath's weapons for himself, at least for this point in time. These weapons are going to come up again later. But he keeps the weapons, but he hauls the head around for a while. Now this may sound fairly grotesque to us, but it was actually common practice. This was his trophy. This was proof, the proof of his guilt. David is only 17 years old for their battle. But he's a man. Now he's a man of war too. He told him he was. He told him he killed that lion and he killed that bear and he knew God was with him. That's the only way. This Philistine's going to be just like one of them. It wasn't bravado. It was confidence. Not in himself, but in the God who went with him. We can face things with a false spirituality that is nothing more than bravado. We're going to fall flat on our face when we do that. Or we can handle it with David, as David, with confidence. Because when you go through it, there's a mountain of difference between the two. In the one, you're just relying upon your own strength. Some of you here that watch this. In one, you may be relying upon your own faith. Why? You see the difference? I'm going to get through this because I've got great faith. Be careful. You're going to get to it because you get through it because you've got great faith in the living God. He's the one that's going to get you through. That's why I'm also careful with this idea that when we say when we're facing problems that doctrine is going to get me through this. My theology is going to get me through this. God's going to get you through it. Now, your theology is what tells you that. Your doctrine is what tells you that. But when we face these difficult situations, it's not my doctrine per se that I'm counting on. It's what my doctrine teaches me that God loves it. It's God that I'm counting on to get me through it. Christianity is personal. It's not strictly academic. You know what? You wonder why we get accused of being overly academic here? Because we say things like that. We don't mean it. We don't mean it in the way that it comes out. My theology is one thing, but my theology points me in its essential manager. But what I hope you leave here with is the living God that's going to get me through that. That's the, that's the theology. That's what I need to count on. Not those words, but the God that those words lead to. The, the God that the doctrine that we know leads us to. He's the one that's going to hold my hand over that golden high bridge that leads from time to eternity. I can have all the facts in the world about death and the experience of it and what's going to happen in heaven. But at the end of the day, when I'm taking my last breath, my focus should be on Jesus Christ, the person. I know this is subtle, 
going to convert. It's God that's going to get you through. Believe me, I'm in no way putting down theology, doctrine, the study of the Word of God, because that's what gets you to that point. It points us to God. Verses 55 through 58 are parentheses that actually go back in time. This is not a chronological order. Verses 55 through 58 are parentheses that go back to the moment where David is going out onto the battlefield to fight Goliath. So kind of picture yourself. If it were a movie, this would be a flashback. Now, when Saul saw David going out against the Philistine, he said to Abner, the commander of the army, Abner, who's playing with this young man? And Abner said, By your life? Okay, I don't know. And the king said, You inquire whose son the youth is. So when David returned from killing the Philistine, Abner took him and brought him before Saul with the Philistine's head in his hand. And, and Saul. It's a bit gruesome, but the 17-year-old showed up being tough. And Saul said to him, Whose son are you, young man? And David answered, I am the son of your servant, Jesse from Bethlehem. Remember, David had already told Saul. He had already ministered to him. When Saul would have these fits, these attacks of, of an evil spirit or a disconcerting spirit that God had placed upon him, David would travel from Bethlehem up to Saul's residence and pray for him. The text even told us earlier that Saul loved David. But Saul's love is superficial. His love for David is just as superficial as his love for God. He loves him, but he doesn't really love him very much. Which tells me that he loved David just because of what David could do for him. That's not the mark of a good leader. A good leader isn't more interested in his own comfort than in the comfort and the prosperity and the security of the people that he's with. He puts the other people in their interest. David's going to be a much better leader than Saul. Saul, Saul doesn't even know what family he's from. And he's supposed to have loved Saul. And so Saul gets a complaint. These three lessons we've had on this battle between David and Goliath teaches us many, many things. We've we reviewed some of them tonight and we will as time goes on but the chief of the thing that this passage has taught us is that when we face the Goliath of this life, and we will, nobody's immune, when we face the Goliath in his life, we can either face them alone and be assured of failure, or we can face them with God on our side, the living, personal, infinite, omnipotent God of the universe on our side.